be with you. Uh, if you've never uh, heard me speak before, I'm really more of a teacher than, than a preacher. You still use that word. I like to teach. That fits my style better. <clears throat> so uh, all teachers have a whiteboard. So Vanna White <laughs> is going to bring out my whiteboard. He is lovelier than Vanna White. Thank you, Vanna. <laughs> so <clears throat> when I teach, I, I often wonder if the whiteboard is really more for me than it is for you. But uh, inside your bulletin, there's actually a half page front side and back side where I put just a little bit of an outline. Uh, it's going to have some of the images that I'm going to put on this whiteboard. So feel free to use that if you're like a note taker. I learned very early that I'm very much a visual learner and uh, not much of an auditory learner. So for me to actually see things helps me learn. So for those of you out there like me, uh, maybe this will be helpful. So uh, let me get my marker and my notes. My marker's already there, good. So we're in a series and we're talking about margin. The best way I would describe this message entitled that we are made by God to be in community and how it fits into the margin series is that I'm going to give you a shape, a triangle, that I believe will be like a nice container or a nice metric that you can think about how do I arrange my life in such a way that there's a healthy cycle, there's a healthy rhythm, which really serves as a way of deciding what not to put into my life. So imagine as we go through this triangle and the various elements along the triangle that you're going to be calibrating or measuring how does my life match up with this cycle that's being described. And we're going to start by going back to the text of Mark chapter 3, where it says that Jesus went up on a mountainside. And I want to stop there just for a moment. And we're going to step back and take kind of a 30,000 foot look at the Gospels for just a moment. If we were to watch the life of Jesus, we would notice that he had a certain rhythm about his life that he would periodically just kind of sneak away from the 12, from his close three, from the crowds, and he would either go up to the mountainside, he would go off into the desert, think of the wilderness experience where he was 40 days, 40 nights with no food. He's out in the desert, right? He's out in the wilderness. We know later when he was around Jerusalem that he loved to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Why was he doing that? Jesus realized that a healthy rhythm for life begins with both quality time and quantity time with our Heavenly Father. Now, I'm a firm believer that if we will look at the life of Jesus, that we can actually imitate the work that he did and the way that he did it. And I think there's something to learn about imitating the ways of Jesus with respect of uh, building both quality and quantity time with our Father. Now, for most of us, 
we may say that our quality and quantity time with the Father is as, as we read the scriptures. How many of you would say that my quality up time, in fact, let me go ahead and draw my, <sighs> got to do the whiteboard here, we got it out here, Vanna did all of that work, <laughs> dare not put it to waste. And if we get much beyond stick figures and simple shapes, my drawing is really bad. You don't want to see it, but I can do a triangle. So we're going to begin with this idea, how is our uptime? Now, for some of you, you would probably say, in fact, just because I'm a teacher, I like interaction. How many of you would say that my best way connect, to connect with my Heavenly Father is by reading the Scriptures. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. That is a good way for me to connect with the Father. Okay, great. Thank you. Didn't that feel good? Put it up again. Back down. Put it back up again. Doesn't that feel good? That, that's your, your yoga for the day. <laughs> Stretching exercises. How many of you feel like the best way to connect with your Heavenly Father is through prayer? Try your other arm just to exercise your other arm. There you go. Ooh, a lot more prayers. Okay, put it down. Someone told me on the front end what makes a good uh, message, and it's like when you have something that's kind of deep and serious and funny. So I've got the funny part out of the way, hopefully. At least I faked it. How many of you would say that actual music and worship, either singing or listening to great music, inspiring inspirational music, is a great way for you to connect with your Heavenly Father? Raise your hand. Okay, you could choose all three of those. That would be fine. So these are different ways that we connect with our Father. I want to tell just a short story about what is it in us that gives us almost the desire that I've got to go to the mountain, I've got to go to the wilderness, I've got to go to the garden to connect with my Father. What is it that God has done that allows us to have that kind of energy that is almost like magnetic, I've got to go to the mountain? Because a lot of you would say, yeah, I know I should read my Bible, but I don't. I know that I should pray, but I don't, right? All of us have been there, done that. What is it that causes us to be drawn into this relationship? I'm going to tell you a quick Reader's Digest of the Reader's Digest version of a story from the Old Testament that is built on this second shape that is in your outline where it says covenant and kingdom. I believe that the magnet that drew Jesus to be alone with his heavenly father was this deep covenant relationship that he felt with the father. Now in the Old Testament, in the latter part of 1 Samuel and then into 2 Samuel, there is this story about Saul, David, and his son Jonathan. Now we know towards the end of Saul's reign, that he had fallen out of favor with God, and God had already called his successor David to take the place on the throne. During this season where God had basically rejected the first king, Saul, and had chosen David, the second king, it created a lot of jealousy for Saul, and Saul was literally trying to kill David. Many of you know that story. I see some heads shaking because your favorite way to connect with God is reading the Bible, and you know that story. So, that's how it was going. During this time, I believe that Saul's son Jonathan realized that God's favor was on David, and he was going to be the next king, and I think he realized that his dad had gone mad. 
Hey, that rhymes. His dad had gone mad. He realized that. But the Bible says that Jonathan loved David. I think that is the key word. And because Jonathan loved David, the Bible tells us that Jonathan entered into a covenant relationship with David. Now, everyone during that period of time knew that a covenant was a binding relationship or an agreement that someone more powerful made with someone who is not as powerful. Jonathan is a son of the king. He is prince. He has a special ear to what his father is doing. And he said, I swear to you, David, that I am in covenant with you and I will protect you. And so this covenant relationship between David and Jonathan was formed. Fast forward. There is a great battle. In that battle, Saul's life is so threatened that Saul takes his own life and Jonathan is killed on the battlefield in one day and suddenly the power of the kingdom is shifted. David, who's already been chosen by God and is waiting for his time to assume his rightful place, now it's his. Now unfolds a period of time where all of the people who are loyal to Saul are being, they're ramping up their power to fight against David as he takes the throne, and David is uh, exercising his authority, and he kills a lot of people who are loyal to Saul. After all the dust settles, David wakes up one morning and says, would you find out if there's anyone in the house of Saul to whom I could show favor, and what David is thinking of, Jonathan showed favor to me, he extended me grace and kindness, I now need to honor that covenant relationship and extend grace to someone else. And they said, well, yes, there's actually a son of Jonathan who is crippled. In fact, when he was a small boy and they were exiting the uh, kingdom because of the death of uh, Saul and Jonathan, his nurse, the person caring for him, dropped him, and now he's a cripple. We'll go and we'll bring him. So imagine if you're Mephibosheth, oh, that's a tongue twister. You're Mephibosheth, you are Jonathan's son, you are one of the few who have survived all of the killing that took place, and now the king has summoned you to come and to see him. What is the king going to say? Mephibosheth comes into the presence of King David and he bows before him. And David says, don't be afraid. I am going to extend favor to you because of the covenant relationship your dad made with me. Come, you are going to live in my kingdom. You are going to sit at my table. You are going to be considered part of my family. Could you imagine the transformation that Mephibosheth felt after the king delivered this news? He had been living in fear. He had been living in hiding. He may have hated David for all that he had done to his family. And now the king says, because of the covenant, you are welcome in my home. And so the story goes on. Now the reason I love that short little story about covenant is because it describes 
what God has done for all of us through Jesus. Mephibosheth had nothing to do with that covenant deal. All he had to do was to receive the covenant promise and to sit at the king's table. I believe that when we have that understanding of covenant, it draws us and we long to be in the presence and to sit at the table with King Jesus because we realize anything he may have had against us, it is done. It is forgiven. It is gone. We now have the privilege to sit at his table. The second uh, area, if I can remember where I put my pen, here it is. The second area that Jesus spent time with was with his disciples, and we're going to use the word in to indicate family. So Jesus chooses 12 men so that they can be with him. That's what the gospel says. He chose 12 to be with him. Now, we have to kind of think for a moment, what was Jesus' strategy? What was he trying to do? I think he was trying to create an atmosphere where it was not only him enjoying the presence of the Father and the King, but he wanted to draw others into that relationship. There's something very powerful when the King invites you to his table and those seated at his table put their arms out and say, we're so glad you're here. It's like we are family. And so Jesus in his ministry would move from times where he would escape to be with his father and then he would spend time with his disciples. Now I want to share a very powerful text that's found in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 34. And that might or might not be in your handout. I forget. So here's what it says. So imagine Jesus is in a room filled with people who are wanting to learn and wanted, wanting to believe this message, message that he's sharing. And it says in verse 31, then Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus pauses for a moment. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now imagine for a moment that as he's talking to this group that his mother and his brother can hear what he just said. And imagine it was Mother's Day. <laughs> Jesus, don't you know the commandment to honor your parents? What did you just say? That's not the thing you say. To... Who's my mother? What was Jesus doing? Now, Jesus was known for saying very hard things. Jesus said many shocking things that just sent people spinning, correct? I believe that Jesus was saying that don't look 
to your first birth as the source of your identity. Yes, Mary was the mother of Jesus. He wasn't denying that. He wasn't putting her down. But he was pointing them to another relationship. Because of our covenant relationship, that is going to eclipse our family relationship. It's, it's a brand new day. It's a brand new day. And so believe it or not, what God has designed for us in the church is that we begin to see one another with a kind of love, a kind of connection that equals or rivals our fondest family connections. That is amazing. But that is the call of Jesus. We were made for community. We were not made to live this life alone. The short little verse from Proverbs that Scott read says that when we come together, it is like iron on iron. Now, some people would say, ah, he rubs me the wrong way. Have you heard that expression before? Right? Well, maybe you're going the wrong way and he's rubbing you the right way. Have you ever thought of that before? It's like we live in a day and age where it's like, why can't we just all agree with each other? Don't say anything controversial. Don't say anything that goes against the grain. Let's just all go the same direction, right? Well, the proverb writer understands that there is something when we come out of our shy, introverted, alone cocoon and actually get with others who are of the like family that it has a way of making us better. The rhythm for life is that we realize I need to have this magnetic pull where, pull where I understand my father has invited me to the table based on his grace. And that I'm now in a family and connected with others and I need to have that same kind of magnetic draw I love being with people who hear the word of God and do what it says. I love it. And then finally, this last little part of the triangle is the out. The message of the gospel is, it is not just for the family of Saul and Jonathan and one little cripple boy named Mephibosheth the gospel of the covenant is that there are millions, billions of Mephibosheths that are hiding out and they are crippled and no one has told them the good news that they can come and sit at the king's table. Someone should say that was good. That was good. I need to say that, that, that one more time. Think about this. We have the privilege of being the messenger that goes to Phoebe, Mephibosheth. That's hard to say, blah, 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 Mephibosheth. And to tell him, the king wants to see you. That's good. Thank you. And the Mephibis, the millions of Mephibis in the world, get to come and hear the good news. It's not anything you've done that allows you to sit at the king's table. It's because of a covenant that was made between your father and David. 
you're in. Now, one of the most profound, two profound moments in my life was when a youngster who was living my Christian life thinking, I need to be good enough. I need to be good. I need to please my Heavenly Father. I'm going to work hard to please you, Heavenly Father. And when I didn't please my Heavenly Father, guess what? I felt like I was not worthy to spend time with Him and I would spend less time with Him. And I remember that moment where in a counseling class at Xavier, they said, it's very irrational to think that you have to be good and perfect in life for people to love you. That's very irrational. And when the teacher said that, I began crying in class. It's like, that is me. I believe I have to be good for you to love me. I believe I have to be good for God to love me. You mean that's what the gospel is? I don't have to be good for him to love me? I want to be with him. And the second thing that really rang my bell in terms of covenant is God did it all. It's not a contract where I do my part, he does his part. What did Mephibosheth do? Nothing. We have the privilege of going outside these four walls in the workplace, at Walmart, at the doctors, wherever we are, to tell the Mephibosheths of this world, the king loves you. The king has a place for you at the table. I'll give you a couple of challenges. Number one, if you feel like this message, kind of like this speaks to me, this describes me in the area of community, I'm going to ask you to do something. At the end of the message, when it's all over and you're running out for brunch or lunch, I want you to take an extra 15 seconds and come up to me and say, I want to learn more about covenant. I think God has more for me, and I want it. I think I'm done. I got done on time. I'm so <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> We're going to shift gears. I'm going to pray for you, and then Pastor Tim is going to lead us in communion time. The communion is the new covenant. We come together to have a covenant, covenant meal together because it reminds us that we are connected to Him and we are connected to each other and we have the privilege of taking this message to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your covenant. Lord, I'm so grateful that You have opened and are opening my eyes to this beautiful message. And Lord, I believe there are people in this room who felt um, a desire to be connected with you in such a way that they're not right now and they want more. Father, I believe there are some in this room who are saying, I live my life alone. I do my own thing. I have nobody who ever gets a chance to rub me the right way. And I'm going to change. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. And today, I'm going to take a step to live into that. And maybe others thought, you know what? I never tell anyone the amazing good news that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has paid it all and there's a place for them at the table. So Lord, move us. Help us to be obedient to your spirit. 
your family are those who hear your word and do what it says. We thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.